Welcome to Health System CIO's interview with TJ Mann, Chief Information Security Officer with Children's Mercy Kansas City. I'm Anthony Guerra, founder and editor-in-chief. We'll get to our interview in a moment, but first, this brief word from our sponsor. At CrowdStrike, we stop breaches, and it all starts with a tiny endpoint software sensor that works with Windows, Linux, Mac, and mobile, deploying fast with no reboots and no blue screens. We protect nearly 200 healthcare organizations with more joining us every day. Find out more about the power of the crowd at CrowdStrike.com healthcare. TJ, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. All right, TJ, let's start off. You want to tell me a little bit about your organization and your role? Sure. Uh, so I am the um, the current Chief Information Security Officer for Children's Mercy, Kansas City. Um, it's uh, We have two hospitals in the area. It's a 20, There are 23 clinical sites. Uh, we have a recently... Um, uh, inaugurated uh, Children's Mercy Research Institute, which is focused on um, um, identifying and detecting um, uh, genetic um, defects and, and and building treatment plans for for um, and research around around um, around that uh, for kids specifically. Mm-hmm. And um, we have a value based program as well. Um, we operate in in Kansas um, and some remote locations in Kansas and Missouri primarily. Um, and some remote locations within Kansas. So I'm happy to be here. Uh, I've been with Children's Mercy for about um, it'll be four years next month. Um, and um, I have um, the complete responsibility for um, um, a cyber, uh, strategically aligned cybersecurity program um, and maintaining the effectiveness of that program. All right. Very good. I'd like to, you mentioned four years coming up on your anniversary. So congratulations on that. Thank That's you. pretty good tenure these days for a C- yeah. any C-suite. <laughs> it's pretty good. Um, tell me how you got here in a career sense, how you wound up in IT, how you wound up in security and how you wound up in healthcare IT security, how you wound up in this job. If you want to give me sort of an overview, I think people find it interesting how CISOs, uh, wind up where they are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's um, it's an interesting journey. And, and <laughs> um, my background, my academic background, is is in IT. So I went, I have my bachelor's in IT, and my master's in, is in computer science. Actually, not on the on the security side. Mm-hmm. Um, and I graduated with my master's program in 2010. And you know, even back then, not a whole lot of universities were offering cybersecurity and information security degrees. There were no programs mm-hmm. per se. Yeah. So the only um, the only career path to get into security was, you know, you come in from network side of the house or you come in um, directly from IT side of the house and you kind of find and carve your way into security. Um, so, but nowadays, you know, it's good to, good to see that a lot of universities are offering um, security degrees to kind of build their pipeline and talent pipeline. Um, to go back, um, I think um, I, I knew I wanted to be in security as, as early as I can remember, seventh grade. Wow. Um, and um, it's interesting, right? <laughs> um, and back then, uh, we were first introduced to binary arithmetic. Um, and you know ones and zeros and and adding and subtracting and everything. I thought, man, this is pretty cool. Yeah, I want to learn. Uh, this is this is interesting to me. Um, 
So a um, couple more things to add in there. I'm an immigrant, um, I'm a zero-gen immigrant. I immigrated with my family here in 2005 to the U.S. Um, and I already had my bachelor's in India before I moved. Um, and so um, this was still in India. I was going to school and, and I saw binary arithmetic and, and found it very cool. So it kind of grew interest, uh, but um, uh, growing up, I was also into sports. So I wanted to go that route, but my parents were like, no, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta make something of your life. But anyways, <laughs> um, and so back when I was in high school um, uh, in India, the, the Termin- I saw the, the Terminator, the movie Terminator. Oh and yeah. There is a scene in that movie um, where the kid goes to the ATM machine and, and does something and it, it starts spitting out all the cash and all the money. Mm-hmm. And I found that very fascinating. Um, and I, I told myself, man, th- I need to learn how to do this. <laughs> you know, people can do this. This, this is awesome. Um, and so what I did was back then there was 56 KBPS modems, right? And the internet was slow. I downloaded the entire ATM manuals for Diebold and NCR machines. Um, those were the two big ATM manufacturers back then. Um, and I read through all those manuals, just trying to figure out how this thing works and how can I make it spit out money? Yeah. Um, so, and I, and back then, you know, and, and there were, there were a lot of, a lot of trial and error, but nothing worked. <laughs> uh-huh. um, so, so I figured, man, if I need to learn how to break it, I need to know how this works. Um, so that actually grew a lot more interest on the security side of the house. Um, although I already had interest on in the IT or the computers in general, um, this particular moment uh, really grew my interest in terms of how to break into things in order to secure them. Um, and that was my entire mantra throughout my academic career that I needed to learn how to break things so I can secure them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to be on the security side of the house. So um, moved here to the U.S. in 2005, um, really didn't have, um, financially, we were, we were struggling pretty hard, um, didn't have uh, much, um, just had one month's rent for an apartment when we moved to the U.S. So, um, and I, so I had a job as a server and I was going to grad school in the evenings um, for my master's program. Um, and um, so eventually graduated from my master's program and started really building a career in security mm-hmm. um, with my first role as I really grew up from the ranks. Uh, my first role as a compliance and privacy analyst um, at LexisNexis. It's a company mm-hmm. out of Ohio. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're Amsterdam is their headquarters, but this was based in Ohio. Um, and then moving to um, bigger and better roles. Um, I spent about four years with LexisNexis, uh, grew into this information security generalist role, then moved on to Bank of America mm-hmm. to help with their um, cyber analytics and lead their um, instant log, um, security log analysis and monitoring teams. Um, from there on, um, I was um, um, contacted by PwC and um, PricewaterhouseCoopers. So I spent about four years with PwC um, based out of Chicago. And um, that role uh, really helped me grow a lot um, from and, and, and essentially transition from an individual contributor to a leader. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, uh, I, I got promoted to a manager position. And within those four years, um, I got a lot of exposure and 
um, I always tell people consulting is like dog years. Uh, what you <laughs> end up doing in in the industry in you know in seven years, you you get to, to get that exposure and experience in one year because um, you're working with so many different clients and so many different complex problems and new tools and everything. Um, and with that, also I gained experience uh, working in the U.S., in Asia, in Europe, um, and that was very. Um, key um, in terms of learning cross-cultural norms, cross-continental communications, um, and, and working with teams that are remote. Um, and some of the major clients, I worked for um, Costco, for MetLife, um, and some of the major Fortune 100 and 500 financial institutions, um, and uh, really helping CISOs build their security programs, uh, mature their security programs, um, some um, niche service offerings, building um, cross-functional instant response plans uh, or um, establishing cyber fusion centers. Um, and um, so that really kick-started my career um, into, a next, into a different level. Uh, after about four years, um, I got, um, I, I was contacted by Children's Mercy for this role. Um, and David Chow was there at that time, mm -hmm. actually, he was the CIO. Um, yep. And um, they were looking for somebody to come in and build a security program and a security team. And um, there wasn't much uh, at Children's Mercy at that time, for, as if you want to call it from a security program perspective. Um, we had a, a handful of people who were really focused on day-to-day -day operations. And so I joined um, about four years ago and um, the first order of business was really to build relationships, do uh, go on a listening and learning tour and really um, meet the different business unit leaders and understand their pain points and uh, figure out where the gaps are currently and where we need to go um, and build that five-year strategy and vision and, and build um, cybersecurity goals and um, build that roadmap. Um, to do that, obviously needed a team. So in the first year, that was basically my current state assessment and meeting with the executives, meeting with the board of directors, presenting my business cases for, for the, the, the FTEs I wanted to hire, the budget I needed to really build what, what needed to be built. Um, and so I was successfully able to grow the team sixfold um, since since I joined, so we had three FTs, three contractors, and now we're 38 um, mm -hmm. team strong. Um, that was a big accomplishment, and um, and really, a couple of years ago, we with the entire team, we went on a, um, about a six month kind of a workshop, <laughs> a very long workshop to um, translate the organizational goals into cybersecurity goals. Mm -hmm. So we could come up with a cybersecurity strategic plan and a vision for the next five years on what are we doing? Everything we're doing ties back to one of the organizational goals. And, mm -hmm. and that's, that's the key in, in, in terms of um, establishing a successful security program and um, um, couldn't be proud of the team where we are. Very good. So uh, you were at PwC. It sounds like up to that point, you, you had no experience in healthcare. Uh, when before until Children's Mercy came. So number one, you made a decision that you were not going to be in consulting anymore. I, mean, I don't know if you didn't want to travel anymore or you mm -hmm. kind of had enough of that. The other thing is healthcare sounds like it was new to you. 
So that goes both ways. The employer was interested in you with no healthcare experience, and you were open to the idea of specializing at this point. So just take me through that a little bit, that decision-making yeah. process. Sure. Uh, first of all, I, I loved my uh, my job at PwC. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's a great company, and I would encourage anyone out of, especially out of straight out of college, go work for a consulting firm. Um, and and I love traveling, so so that was not a problem at all. I think what what was starting to happen was um, um, the the honest truth is uh, I was I was dating, and um, ah. there were every girl I would speak to. <laughs> but like I can yeah sure we can meet you know this weekend because I'm in a different city right now for the entire week um and that wouldn't go very well <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. I'm always traveling and so it was hard to find time I think the reason the real reason I left PwC was um it I, I looked at it as an investment in myself um it was an investment in in my personal life from from a dating perspective uh, but also it was an investment in my health um, I wanted to give more time to myself to my mm-hmm. mental well-being and mm-hmm. my physical well-being mm-hmm. um, and I found it was hard for me to balance that with all the traveling um, so those were the two big reasons why I left PwC just mm-hmm. to give more time to myself my health and, and my mental well-being and um, and and yes when this opportunity came came across, um, yeah, I was a little, um, you know, that thought came to my mind that, okay, well, it's healthcare. Um, I don't have much exposure in there. Um, so I reached out to, um, to some of my colleagues and friends at PwC who worked with healthcare clients to just get an idea of the landscape. Cause when you look at security, um, the basic framework's all the same, you know, mm-hmm. they're the same frameworks, uh, the controls and the intent of the controls is the same. The idea and the goal of cybersecurity as a, as an organization is the same to reduce the risk to the organization and protect the business. Um, but the threat vectors are different when it comes to the different industry verticals, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what you see, uh, what might be um, um, a threat um, um, that may be moving at a higher velocity and, and, and of a higher magnitude that same threat could not be the same velocity or magnitude in a different industry vertical. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, you look at ransomware and you look at um, the most hit industry verticals are state and local governments and healthcare institutions. Um, two reasons, right? Because they both have to keep running 24 seven. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so there is a, a um, self-interest to keep to pay the ransom and and second they're both immature and they're they're getting up to speed in terms of cybersecurity. so um to in short why i took this role is because of the challenge mm-hmm. um i think at that time and i still think um that healthcare is obviously financial services is one of the most mature industry verticals when it comes to cybersecurity. but healthcare retail um, state and local governments, they're, they're gaining maturity. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I looked at that as an opportunity. And that mm-hmm. challenge is what really excited me for this role, that there's an opportunity for me to go in there, build something from scratch, mm. a team, a program, and make a difference. And, and make a difference in, in improving security posture for an organization that is so focused on, it's a mission-focused mission organization, mm-hmm. so focused on, Pediatric healthcare, 
creating a, a world of well-being for all children. That that's our that's our goal. Um, and it's a nonprofit organization. And and quite honestly, it's probably one of the most fulfilling job I've ever had. Um, and and the reason I say that is because um, usually you work in IT and security, you're mostly behind the scenes and mm-hmm. you make things work. But here, you know, I go out in the community and I tell people I work for Children's Mercy. Um, the odds are either they themselves or their kids or somebody they know has been to Children's Mercy and, you know, um, they have memories and stories. And, you know, so it's it's fulfilling to see that, you know, you're doing all this work and you put in late hours uh, for the community, uh, for the well-being of, of, of the children. So it sounds like a lot of reasons. A lot of reasons that it lined up and that it was the right time to move. Some question, a follow-up question on something you mentioned. Uh, there's a lot of similarities across industries when it comes to security. So CISOs would have some. The skills are certainly transferable. If you're a CISO in one industry, you can be successful as a CISO in another industry. But you mentioned the threat vectors are different. Threat intelligence is a, is an important part of being a CISO, having good threat intelligence. I guess there's certain free things that the government puts out, CISA, whatnot, uh, and other organizations. And then I assume there's private feeds that you can pay for yeah. uh, that different vendors put out. How important to you is threat intelligence and how, how do you leverage that to, to make sure you're do, uh, doing the best you can? Yeah, well, um, we'd be blind without threat intelligence. Um, I often say that Intel wins wars, um, and that's that's the same uh, concept. You go in, into military or war zone, um, you you can't you can't win a war if you don't know what your adversary is doing, or you don't know what's coming at you. Right, you're basically essentially running blind. Um, so, I I personally think threat intelligence is is a is a key capability for for any security program. Um, and what we've done here is we have multiple different avenues for, for gathering that threat intelligence. We pay for a, a, a service as well, which, is, which delivers us curated, curated threat intelligence mm-hmm. for um, our organization and for the healthcare industry in general and for our area. So we, we are aware of and are ahead of any geopolitical risks or um, any um, targeted industry vertical risks or threats that may be coming at us. Um, and we also have free feeds as well. Uh, we're mm-hmm. members of institutions like HISAC, um, HIMSS, and um, so we get daily threat intel from those sources also. Um, and the way we are, and, and this is an area that's still maturing for us, um, but um, the way we're, we're using that threat intelligence uh, is primarily in our instant response investigations. Um, when we, when the team does an incident response investigation, they need to better understand the the threat, the threat actor, and um, how quickly the threat is moving, and what is the likely next, based on this threat actor's mo, what is the likely next step that that's going to happen. Um, so that helps us stay ahead and be proactive. And what we're working on right now is integrating that threat intel into other programs, like a vulnerability management program. Uh, we, as we look at the different vulnerabilities, we want to understand um, how how is that vulnerability being being exploited in the wild, 
Um, is it a rapid exploitation? Um, so we can better understand and assess the the impact to our assets. Um, and I think um, other use cases would be to integrate the threat intelligence into your SOC um, in, environment um, and into your business continuity environment to understand um, the the various threats and also into your um, uh, risk cyber risk management um, um, work or, or program that maybe um, that you may have. Um, so I think it's it's a very important part. Um, a key capability for uh, for any cybersecurity program. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, I had always thought of threat intelligence as um, helping you create a, a good defense because you have an idea what's going on. But you said something very interested, which interesting, which is as you're dealing with an incident and a breach actively, threat intelligence will help you understand what that actor may do next. So I hadn't thought of that. That's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Helps keep you yeah, cool. and and you look at you know the MITRE attack framework um, mm-hmm. and with the various threat intelligence um, reports that you get, you get an ML of the various threat actors on what they what they usually do when they infiltrate mm-hmm. an organization. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that is a critical resource if if you've already identified a threat actor during an active breach. Um, you can definitely leverage that to understand what likely is going to happen next. Um, if you're you're obviously already consulting the kill chain to understand, you know, what is the next step in this ongoing attack, but what actual <clears throat> tactic is going to be um, um, aligned with that next phase of the incident can be um, derived from some of the available information. Um, if things align up, obviously. <laughs> so you, uh, you know, you moved around a lot when you were at PwC in terms of seeing different clients, seeing best practices. You got an almost a greenfield opportunity at Children's Mercy, which is great because you'd always been telling clients, "Here's what you need to do. Here's what's wrong." You see, and now you had an opportunity to build it out. What do you think is the difference between an average CISO and an outstanding CISO? Um, I, I think the difference is not technical, um, and you know, and I truly believe that pe- that the leaders that come to this this position have the technical ability and acumen to to make it happen. I think the difference is on the soft skill side. It's the difference is how on on. I think leadership plays a key role in in this role. There and I've a few different facets that would help outside of the technical acumen would be first of all your leadership skills and your abilities to coach, mentor, lead a team and keep them motivated, keep them engaged. Um, and I think the other piece is how well of a communicator you are and mm-hmm. and how can you easily translate technical jargon into plain English. Mm-hmm. And I think another key key quality is relationship building. How well are you able to build strong relationships across the business stakeholders in your organization? Um, because eventually what it comes down to is trust and credibility for a CISO. Um, 
again, we're not CISO as a CISO. You're not, um, you know, you're not a risk owner. You're you're a risk flag bearer, right? You, your job is to um, to identify risk and um, and and assess that risk and and share the implications with the business and the executives. But they'll only trust you if you build that trust and credibility. Um, so those soft skills, and I think. When it comes to leading teams, uh, two key soft skills that that I've found in the last two years to be of massive importance um, that I've started to give more importance in my personal um, leadership is empathy and compassion. I think what I've seen in the last two years or so in during the pandemic, there's a real need for true and genuine empathy and compassion with your team. So many people on my team have gone through so much in the mm-hmm. last few years. And I think um, if you really want to be a, um, a visionary leader, um, you need people to, to trust you, people to believe you and that you care for them and that you have their self at their best interests in your mind. Um, and I think like any relationship, um, you can only be successful if um your team is successful. So like in any relationship, empathy plays a, a genuine role, in my opinion, when you when you really show care about someone and, and you do something about it. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You you want to actually care, right? There's a difference between caring and showing you're caring. So we're not talking about faking it, right? No. But what do you do if you don't care? <laughs> you're in the wrong job. You're not going to be well, able to leave. If you, or, or if do, you, you, do you fake it until you make it? I don't know. If you don't care, then then <laughs> you will sooner or later you will you will learn that um, that that uh, you have no way of of, of being successful. Yeah. Your success as a leader lies in your team's success, and only when you've created more leaders like yourself or even better leaders, that's when you can call yourself a successful leader. So if you don't care, then sooner or later, you won't be even a leader. You have to, number one, care, and then show you care. Don't yeah. skip that first step. And and do something about it, right? Just don't talk about it. Like, you know, write a, write a handwritten Thanksgiving card and thank your employees mm-hmm. and your staff that, you know, that you care about them. You know, if, if somebody's come down with, you know, it's very common, uh, uh, like some, somebody on my staff came um contracted covid they're fine and everything is good but you know showing that making that phone call and talking to them that hey i found about about this is there anything i can drop by to you at your doorstep or do you need anything um those things really matter and they go along um it's not you know you know everybody knows that roles are not permanent you know they're you'll move on they'll move on you'll go but it's a bond, right? It's how you treat others. It's going to come back to you. And if you want a, a high-performing team, you have to take care of them. You have to be genuinely empathetic and compassionate about them, about their needs. And you have to be a good coach, which means that in my philosophy, that's a servant leadership. And having them take being empowered and take the lead and moving forward, but but guiding them towards the right direction. So from my leadership philosophy principles perspective, I truly believe that if you can do, if you can inspire, empower, appreciate, 
um, and communicate better with the team, you can really you can really form a high performing team. That's really really good stuff. Um, high level question here. So there's two different ways you could take this question. You could either talk about one or two of the things you're working on if you want to, but you don't have to do that because a lot of CISOs don't want to talk about what they're working on, which is fine. And if you don't want to do that, talk about maybe one or two of the biggest trends you see out there around security that you think are quite important. Okay. Um, let's talk about some of the trends. Um, mm -hmm. And I think first trend that I've seen is, is from a people perspective. And I, and I see a lot of people want to come into cybersecurity as, as, a, as a field of choice. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I also see a lot of, lot of people who want to be in cybersecurity, mm -hmm. right? So the difference is people who need, people who desire to come in because that's their passion or mm -hmm. people who want to be there because they see this is a hot field and they may have some related experience, but not really exactly exact experience mm -hmm. that's needed or skills that are needed um so it <laughs> i think it, it when we couple that with the the global shortage within um our our field we are at a very um strange um uh time um and i and and point i'm getting to is that there is indeed a shortage of of cybersecurity resources but what I'm not seeing is a lot of um, lot of effort from people who who desire to be in the cybersecurity field um, to build that that baseline to to be in that interview and say that even though I haven't had a job, I've done these things mm -hmm. to really demonstrate that I I, I need I, this is a field that interests me, um, and so I've seen that that as a as in the last few years that that as a trend in a way that mm -hmm. um, and 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 I think um, more could be done I think from CISO communities to provide the transparency on what's needed mm -hmm. to in, yeah. in today's jobs and roles and what skill sets are we looking for so we can guide these mm -hmm. this new talent into a way that is going to be helpful for the future CISOs. Well, do you want to name any of those things right now in terms of the things that you're not seeing, but you would love to see on an applicant when they come in and speak with you? What are those baseline things that you're looking for that you perhaps yeah. are not seeing? Yeah. So I want to, I want to see that, that they have a passion. I want to see that they're willing to learn new things. Mm -hmm. I want to see that they, in their free time, they've invested their time in towards that direction that even though they didn't have a job or they don't have the cyber experience but you know they're going online and they have a daily cyber feed for example that they're mm -hmm. staying up to date on what's happening in, in the news from a cybersecurity standpoint mm -hmm. uh, they have a current understanding of um, the threat vectors or what's happening who's getting breached or what if they're going for example come into a hospital at, like in, in children's mercy for an interview um, even if they don't have healthcare experience, I'm okay with that. But what I do want to see is that they know about the healthcare industry. Right. They know about the threat vectors. Mm -hmm. They, at a base level, have an understanding. And more, more importantly, that they are passionate to build that. 
to learn more and they're open to learning a new industry and and they're open to uh, building their skills that's what so I would th- this sounds like basic common sense prepare for an interview stuff right i mean spend some time if you're interviewing for a security position at a hospital you should be spending hours and hours and hours reading about breach you should be able to cite at least the biggest three breaches of the past two years and reference that in the interview throw that out to yeah. me so i know you're abreast of it talk about why you think that happened talk about some bring up some interesting points so you're saying you're seeing a lack of that in some of these interviews they're not coming with that they're just coming with i'm passionate and i want to be here but you're not doing any homework to prepare correct uh, yeah at least that, at least that's what i'm seeing yeah. um maybe it's different for others but i feel like it's not about i don't want them to memorize everything i just want them to be passionate and be open to learning that they should know at least i would like the candidates to know that um this is the landscape right now mm-hmm. oh i know this happened last month mm-hmm. yeah. um, this is why it happened uh but here's here's what i think could have been done differently and that could be wrong that's fine but at least you tried right? yeah no i think that's great to put out there um and and i'm not looking for any certifications or i mean even if you don't have certifications yeah. or degrees mm-hmm. but you're still passionate and you you want to learn and that that is shown from your comments and your yes. conversation that you've done some homework done some research yeah. and you want to learn more i'd rather give give that person a chance yeah and there's always the uh, you know we want to hear that they have questions for you right i mean yes. don't when i say do you have any questions for me you don't say not really <laughs> that's not a good sign no right? you want you want some intelligent questions correct yes. yeah exactly yeah. Yeah. So that's one trend. And I think the other trend that I'm seeing is obviously that, that, uh, you know, with COVID, um, this is more of a technical trend from mm-hmm. a security standpoint. With COVID, um, a lot of organizations, um, you know, sent their workforce remote. Um, so did we. And we, like others, I think we we lost some of that visibility from on the network perspective so i think that's the other technical trend that i'm seeing that everybody is now pushing towards securing the um that remote workforce from a cloud internet connection perspective mm-hmm. because not all of that workforce is coming through your network anymore um so they're going directly to cloud based services and how do you secure that so that's that's another technical trend that that i've seen it's something that we are also working on here at children's yeah that's a big one all right listen i try i try to keep these 30 minutes we're a few minutes over so i just want to give you um a last opportunity and uh the question here is any final parting advice for your CISO colleagues out there who are you know trying to do the work you're doing and maybe some of them are being a little more successful some less but what's your what's your parting nugget for them um my parting nugget is really um be let's be more collaborative um that's the only way we can all get better um we are all doing great work uh and the more we share among among ourselves uh the better we can get against the adversary um and uh, just keep doing keep doing the good work and keep fighting the good fight 
Very good, TJ. That was a wonderful talk, and I think it's going to be great for our readers. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me.